And now, welcome to the Just the West podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Just the West podcast. I'm your host, Just the West, and I have a special guest on the eve of Super Bowl, Michael, Michael Mason. Michael, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, Justin? You know, just out here living the life, enjoying this beautiful San Francisco weather today. So for those that don't know, uh, Michael is a good friend of mine. He's, he's a Niner fan as well. Lives in the city in San Francisco. And so I've been meaning to have him on a pod for the longest time. Uh, and I think the occasion just merits it. So right now, I mean, NFC West related. We're going to the Super Bowl, baby. There is one lone representative in the NFC West, and that is the Los Angeles Rams. Those Rams... I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in great detail, but the Rams were able to win in overtime thanks to a 57-yard field goal kick for the win to win 26-23. to 23. Uh, But more so than anything, we can talk about that victory uh, in detail about how they came to win that game. But I think that the biggest topic about this game is the no-call. Um, going into the fourth quarter in the winning mi- moments, uh, the Saints had a, had a, had an opportunity to win that game outright, uh, but instead there was a no call for an obvious passing interference. They don't get the call. Um, they settle for it. Remind me again. They settle for the field goal, and eventually they they go into overtime. Right, Michael? Yeah, I mean that, that field goal. Uh you know, at the end to tie it up. I mean, I think they got the ball back with about a minute left and drove down the field, and Zerline just put it right through. And then, uh, you know, Saints started out with the ball uh, right there in the second half. But, uh, you know, Fowler had that nice little spin move and tipped it up, and John Johnson caught it. And, you know, it's I mean, really great defensive play. I mean, kind of anticlimactic end to the game. And Zerline just, I mean, it looked like that ball was good from 80 yards out, that last field goal to win it. <laughs> yeah, and so... I'm kind of as a fan, as a as a supporter of the NFC West. I mean, we're I've been hearing this all Monday, um, most likely from from Saints fans, but you know NFL fans nonetheless. A lot of people feel like this uh, this victory by the Rams to go at New Orleans and come out with this win. A lot of skeptics are discrediting this win because of that no call. Because by theory, with that no call, had it been called a passing interference. The Saints would have gotten the first down, and more likely than not, would have sealed the game. They would have just—they wouldn't need to do anything. They would just stick with the win, and you know they would be representing themselves in the Super Bowl. And it's really—I mean, I can understand it for the Big Easy fans. It's really tough because not only did they lose this game, but last year as well. I mean, remember the catch with Minnesota with Stephon Diggs in game-winning fashion. And so these are back-to-back years of heartbreaking wins. Oh, I'm sorry, heartbreaking losses for these uh these Saints fans well you have to love uh their fan base in New Orleans uh how they already have billboards up trying to uh get them to replay that the end of that game uh and I I was in New Orleans a couple years ago and it was week one and the entire city of New Orleans was gone on Sunday it was first week of the the season I was like where's everyone at half the city uh took the drive up to Georgia and went and watched the game up in Atlanta. So there are just great fans down there. And uh, it's really got to be heartbreaking to be, you know, I think you have the best team out there, your first seed. Uh, you did everything you could. 
especially that, that last play by Drew Brees, uh, you know, that ball that he threw down the field and got to Ted Ginn, uh, you know, that really should have been a game winner. Um, and just really frustrating. Uh, you know, I watched it and just, you know, I, was, I didn't understand how that could happen. Uh, you know, so, I mean, obviously the gut reaction from everyone is talking about, well, they need to uh, review it. You know, they need to make it where you can uh, have that a reviewable play in the future. And I mean, it's going to be a big topic of conversation going all the way into the off season. Yeah, I mean, I know I've been reading a little bit lately too. I mean, talking about the no call. You know, should there be any rules in place? Are there any other leagues that do differently? They mentioned the CFL. They do have an ability to challenge passing interference calls. And uh, it was mentioned that there were 46 passing interference calls that were challenged by CFL coaches. And they said out of those 46, 19 were overturned because uh, it was either a no call or it should have been called a passing interference. But the uh, the outcome was reversed under, re- under review. I don't know if the NFL will do that per se, but I think that especially on such a high platform, which is the NFC, I mean, fucking conference championship game uh heads are gonna roll right now i think that the league has to do something um what say you about this michael i mean what should the league do well i mean another top thing is uh, you never want to have um a game of this magnitude be decided by a call or a no call oh absolutely and yeah it's just that's it it, it always just you know you, you had two great games, and here we are right off the bat. We have to address this. This is what everyone wants to talk about. And, you know, I, I really feel as though they do need to try and fix it and make it reviewable. Um, yeah, I think the league's done a really good job with correcting and uh, making adjustments to the rules as the years have gone on. Uh, so I think they'll, they'll get this addressed, and, you know, I don't think this will be a thing of the future, but, you know, definitely played a major part. <laughs> And I, I know that you feel as though uh, you know they, they maybe should have ran the ball there a couple of times instead of throwing it. But yeah, different. Oh yeah, no, uh, definitely. I am on another side of this conversation more so than anything. And I told you this uh, in, in private before this game even began. I mean, the Saints they beat. I mean, they beat the Eagles, but they didn't beat them convincingly. They did a lot of weird stuff in that duration of the game too, where. You know, the Eagles were driving and they had an opportunity to actually go come back for the win. But they were lucky enough that Alshon Jeffrey, the Eagles receiver, mishapped the pass and it was deflected for an interception. Now you look at the final two minutes with the Saints. um, They had an opportunity to, I won't say put the game away, but it was first it was first down in the red zone. And they chose to do a quick pass to Michael Thomas. And, you know, I, I, I just felt that there's more, it's kind of getting cute. You're, you're seeing people zigging and you want to zag. He knows that everyone's going to defend the run. So he tried to get cute with his pass play. Um, but what had happened was it was a bad pass by Drew Brees. It was mishandled by Thomas. It was a drop pass. And because of that, it really compromised the time management because, I mean, the Rams, they had two timeouts left. There was a minute and a half left in the game. And instead of running the ball on first down, which is kind of similar to what the Chiefs did um, later on that afternoon, but in regards to forcing your opposition to use their timeouts and to when they get the ball back, you'd have less than a minute per se. That would have been 
the conservative approach. That would have been the go-to approach in my eyes. That's something that they could have done on Sunday last week against the Eagles, and that's something that they failed to do this Sunday against the Rams. And lo and behold, the Rams had a minute and a half, two timeouts. I mean, on the road, it's not easy for the Rams by any stretch of the imagination, but they were able to get it done. And even then, I mean, the Saints go into overtime. They get the ball back. Turnover by Drew Brees. I mean, Dante Fowler made the play. I mean, they had they had opportunities. And I, I just kind of think, you know, if you want to put all of this on one play, one non-call, I can understand that. I can understand that for the Big Easy fans. But, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like a basketball game. I mean, you know, missed free throws and, and all that. You can pinpoint that moment towards the outcome of the game. But there's a lot of things, you know, the first three quarters for that matter, that really contribute to the outcome of the game i mean you can look at this i think that draymond green uh said it best uh, earlier this season where they always wanted to look to that last play that's the thing that everyone remembers but it's like no we didn't lose the game on that play we lost the missing that free throw you know missing that pass uh not getting that rebound earlier in the game so it's kind of a culmination of entire game Um, yeah but i see how that that last little moment resonates (laughs) oh my god no i mean naturally as a fan when you're so close and like i mentioned before this is back-to-back years to getting getting screwed over for a play that defined the game i mean yeah i i completely understand saints fans um but man if you look at the numbers too i mean they only i mean shoot drew Brees, he only averaged six yards per passing attempt which is super low they only ran for like 50 rushing yards total Michael Thomas had four catches for 36 yards. I mean, you know, all the things that they do really well. Um, I mean, they are a top-running team. They are, I mean, they're, they're the Saints at home. But if you look at all the numbers, I, I'd say it was kind of a kind of underwhelming uh, for that matter. And so there's a lot of things that really go into this game. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at, where, I mean, you know, Jared Goff, for example, I mean, you saw it for all four quarters of the game. He could hardly relay the plays to his teammates it was deafening loud in new orleans and they still were able to make plays despite all that and you're up 13-0 in the first quarter i mean i don't know man it's just it's just one of those moments where i felt that you know there there were opportunities aplenty uh for, for these saints yeah i mean uh you know one thing that i have to ask is where was Todd Gurley? I mean, uh, four carries for 10 yards. I mean, what, what happened there? And that's another interesting wrinkle, too, because there's two sides to the coin. The Rams won. All is kind of forgotten. I won't say forgiven, but the Rams won, and everyone's talking about the Saints, and I'm, I'm giving them their shortcomings and what could have, would have been. But you're absolutely right. Todd Gurley early on, the reason why they were down 13-0 is because uh, I think it was like what they were backed up at their five. It was like a quick dump off pass to Todd Gurley, and he's only had seven drops this season. He had two drops this game alone in the first half, and one of those drops was deflected for an interception. And so the Saints they had they were spotted at the ten yard line. They should have scored, in my opinion. I mean, these are one of those opportunities. If you have a red zone opportunity that early, you have to score touchdowns, but. They got a field goal out of that, and then they got a touchdown later on to take the 13-0 lead. Um, and yeah, it's 
it's one of those things where you know I, I preached all season how important Todd Gurley is. You know who's the MVP, Jared Goff or Todd Gurley? What makes this offense run? And I've always said that it's been Todd Gurley, just his ability as a passer, as a rusher. It makes this team go and play action. But Sean McVay had to make a big boy move. He he wasn't performing. He wasn't there for the moment with those two drop passes, and so outright they benched him. Yeah, and I mean Sean McVay was really some uh, bold calls. That uh, the fake punt, uh, you know, that, that was really a big turning point for them. You know, two weeks in a row the Saints let uh, you know fake punt uh, get them back in the game. You know, down thirteen nothing, down fourteen nothing against the Eagles last week. Uh, just you know something maybe they want to look at next year. But, uh, you know, Jared Goff, like, I mean, considering that he didn't have Todd Gurley, he's down 13 nothing. he's in a hostile environment. Uh, you know, I know you really thought that the, the game kind of came down to how does Jared Goff react? How does he handle the pressure? And, you know, I have to say that he really stepped up and did a great job. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned before, this crowd gave him hell. It was really hard to relay the plays across the board to his teammates and I saw time and time again it's not like the Saints were trying to be conservative and be in a coverage type of defense they blitzed him on several occasions and thankfully I mean the Rams did pick up the blitz on several of these occasions but you still needed Jared Goff to make that big time throw they were testing him they were daring him to make that throw and I think what really I will say open this game wide open was um it was third down. They blitzed him, and he made that what? What that thirty-five yard pass to Brendan Cooks? You remember over over the shoulder? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. That was a big boy move. That was on a blitz where he had to make the throw. Um, the safety obviously had blitz, and so he had one-on-one coverage, but it had to be a perfect throw. And then you fast forward later on, third quarter, he made like a forty-yard pass where he was on the run and he threw it to Gerald Everett. I mean, there are a lot of things that McVay does to the benefit of golf to put him in a winnable situation with McVay's offense. Uh, but I saw, you know, and I haven't seen this since like week 11, since they played the chiefs because the last couple of weeks, they haven't really needed golf to step up, but you saw him on the conference championship game and you can say he's a system quarterback and whatnot, but I saw a little bit of something out of golf. And this is the reason why they're going to the Super Bowl outside of the non-call. I mean, golf, Zerloin, I mean, this offense, they had to come back after being down 13-0 in the first quarter. Yeah, and, you know, I also really have to hand it to uh, Wade Phillips. You know, I've always appreciated, uh, you know, his defensive schemes. And I know you talked about how Michael Thomas only had, uh, you know, four receptions for 36 yards, and they did a great job, uh, you know, having Marcus Peters and then Tlaib alternate between him. And it really, you know, created... Um, you know, just it, it, they were never in sync. Uh, I mean, normally, like you look at Michael Thomas last week against the Swiss cheese defense in uh, Philadelphia, you know, putting up 170 something yards. And you know, fast forward one week, and you have a, a good ski defense that really kind of came together in that second half, really from the second quarter on. And may I remind you guys when they played each other in week nine, Michael Thomas had 12 catches. For 211 yards receiving. He had 12 catches. 211. The previous week against the Eagles, I mean, he had 12 catches for like 188 yards. And so, no, he's been doing this, you know. Um, 
I, I, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you, yeah, the, the defense of that team, I mean, the, the MVP of the team is Aaron Donald. Uh, Aaron Donald, you know, I mean, for anyone that hasn't been watching this year, I don't know where you've been. Uh, he's really just the best defensive player out there. You know, he's really of that the, the same kind of mold of Reggie White, Bruce Smith. I know he has ways to go before he gets, you know, mentioned that same same category. But, you know, the quickness that he gets off the ball um, and how he really makes the rest of the players around him better because he takes on the double teams. Uh, you know, it just really was something to watch as the game went on as they were able to start getting to Drew Brees and able to stifle that team. And that's the amazing part about this, about Aaron Donald, because you're not always going to see it on the stats. Because actually, when you look at the stats, Aaron Donald had a quote-unquote quiet game. You know, he didn't have multiple sacks. But his presence alone allowed the team to go. I mean, if you guys remember the second quarter when they needed to get the ball back, uh, having Donald out there allowed the Dominican Sioux to have back-to-back sacks, the second one being a half a sack. But the Dominican Sioux had one and a half sacks on that alone. Drew Brees, he passed 41 times. He only had 242 yards passing out of that, which is 6.1 yards per completion. 41 well, times. I'm sure Drew Brees, yeah. Drew Brees had to speed up that clock a little bit because Aaron Donald may not have sacked him, but he did touch him three times. He had three nice little quarterback hits on him. That is exactly what I'm saying. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. he didn't have that much time, meaning he didn't go upfield with Michael Thomas. Most of the stuff that he had to do, I mean, and it works for, for that matter, but he had to do quick, quick and efficient passes to Alvin Kamara on the outside. And it got them the first down and moved the chains, but they didn't have any big plays this game, honestly, except for that Tejin um, catch. They didn't really, you didn't see too much out of them, right? No. no I mean, uh, you know, both teams really stopped the run. Uh, you know, receiving like wasn't wasn't great on either side. I mean, definitely Jared Goff won the quarterback battle, and you know that's in the end that's what it kind of came down to. And isn't that weird to really think about? But that that's what happened. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was it was Jared Goff outdueling Drew Brees, and if you look at the numbers, I mean, yeah, C.J. Anderson was the feature back for the Rams. If you were to tell me that, like, what just just even a couple weeks ago, I I I wouldn't believe that shit. Um, just, I mean, overall, even even the the Saints, they averaged 2.3 rushing yards per carry. I mean, this was a game where, you know, they're at home. They they know what they do well, and they couldn't do it. They just, I I don't know, right? Yeah. Now, hey, also, what about, you know, talking about uh, how the, you can't blame one play. How about that first drive for the Saints where they drove all the way down the field and Drew Brees hit that backup tight end right in the end zone. He drops it. <laughs> Yeah, yes. and that's four points right there. <laughs> and here's the thing: I know he's not Jimmy Graham. I, I I know he's not Ben Watson. I know he's not he's not you know Hill for that matter. But I mean, that was a great throw. It would have been a difficult catch nonetheless. But you know what they say: you touch, you catch. That was a play they they should have made. Um, yeah. And just in regards to those opportunities, they were up. 13-0, but they could have been easily up 21-0. The second time around, when I mentioned before, when Gurley dropped the pass and it was intercepted and they were spotted at the 10, it kind of reminds me like several years back in the NFC uh, Conference Championship with the Niners and the Seahawks. Uh, opening drive, Alden Smith gets a strip sack on Russell Wilson. The Niners are spotted at the 10 in very similar fashion, but they cannot get the touchdown. They set up for the field goal to take a 3-0 lead. 
But these early red zone opportunities, I mean, especially in, in a game this important, especially at home, you have to score touchdowns or else it's going to bite you in the ass. And lo and behold, look what happened, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that's it, it, they could have easily had three touchdowns. It could have been 21 nothing first quarter. Yeah, and then the entire complexity of what the Rams do, they, they, they can't run the football. They have to put more pressure on golf. I mean, things get a little bit wonky when you're down like three touchdowns versus 13-0, for example, you know. But having said that, let's talk specifically about, you know, the most important play outside of the, the non-call, which was John Johnson, safety out of Boston College, I think third, fourth round pick, mid-round pick, a high third-round pick. And I remember when he was drafted, a lot of drafts, Knicks, experts thought he was a bit of a reach i knew about him i thought he had some upside but uh arguably he made the biggest play of his career dante fowler had pressured drew Brees, hit drew Brees. ball went up on a jump ball john johnson falling down reels in the interception i mean michael you want to talk a little bit more about that play or just that whole sequence i mean it was pretty crazy it, it really was something. I mean, I, I, in all honesty, I thought Drew Brees was going to march down the field and win the game. But uh, once that ball up, once that ball went up in the air, and you know, it's just you could see it was hanging there, and all he had to do was not drop it, and he just catches it right there. You know, Michael Thomas gets out the way, and uh, you know, after that, it's pretty much sealed. They just had to get a couple yards and kick that nice field goal. But uh, you know, John Johnson, like I didn't really know that much about him, but. Uh, Earlier in the game, I saw one of the highlights with him, and he was sitting there when the team was down. Uh, you know, they really it didn't look very good for the Rams at the time, and he was sitting there hyping up his teammates, telling them, "Hey, leave everything you got on the field, put it all out there, leave it all out there." And he was really getting everyone motivated, and that was great to see. Like I know, uh, you know, when you have that kind of a person that can be that energetic leader and really get everyone rallied. Um, you know, like it, it really makes all the difference. And to see him get that play and have it, a career play, uh, you know, after he rallied the team, that was really special. Yeah, and here's the thing: out of the whole secondary, I mean, you got big names. You have Marcus Peters. You have Akeem Talib. Lamarcus Joyner got the franchise tag as safety, um, and then you have John Johnson, mid-round pick. He's probably quote unquote the weakest link out of that secondary. No one really talks about him as much, but he made the biggest play for the team. And that is yeah. that is phenomenal stuff. That is phenomenal. Um, outside of that, going into, well, any other final thoughts about this game? I mean, I'm sure we can go a little bit more about the no call. We can go about Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. I mean, anything else top of mind that, um, that really made you tick when you saw this game all said and done? Um, you know, I, I really like how, uh, Sean Payton throws, uh, Taysom Hill in there. It's really fun to watch some of those sub packages and, you know, seeing how they got that first little, uh, you know, receiving touchdown to the back of quarterback was pretty nice. But, um, you know, I haven't said that. I mean, it's just great game all around. Um, you know, really, uh, it'd be fun to watch a rematch of this next year. That's for sure. And, you know, going about... The feature, though, I mean, just keep in mind, guys, you know, Drew Brees, he just turned 40. The Saints, they're, they're similar to the Rams. They made a lot of win-now moves, meaning they they traded this year's first-round draft pick so they can trade up to get a pass rusher, if you guys remember that. 
They traded up to get a pass rusher. They traded, um, I mean, Drew Brees, he's, he's not getting any younger. They've done a lot of things in the win-now moment in a similar fashion to what the Rams have been doing since you have Jared Goff on a cheaper contract. But I don't know, man. Uh, this is one of those things where, you know, legacies will be made and, and tarnished. Um, some people are going to lose a lot of money. Some people are going to make a lot of money off this one game alone um, because, I don't know, it's going to be really tough for the Saints to make the Super Bowl after going 0-2, for especially the way they've lost the last couple of years. Um, do you feel sorry for the Saints? Do you feel, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it is what it is. I don't know. It's brutal, but hey, it's football. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, okay. So that's most of our thoughts about the obvious NFC championship game that we've been covering all year. But, um, Michael, I'm sure you saw the following game, which was, I got another overtime conference championship game. We don't have to go too much about it, but, I mean, very similar to what the Rams did against the Saints. I mean, the Patriots did what the Patriots do, meaning that Tyreek Hill, he had one catch for 45 yards. Kelsey had, like, three catches for 27. And they still almost beat the Patriots. And in fact, they, they should have beat the Patriots at the final stretches, but... You know, you had D. Ford going off sides on a would have been game winning interception. I mean, what say you about this game? Uh, you know that watching that at first, I, I really thought that the Chiefs were going to come out and get a nice start at home and really kind of be able to put the Pats away. But you can never count out Bill Belichick and Tom Brady uh, when they went up fourteen nothing at halftime. Uh, and I had a couple of questions. Uh, how is Andy Reid going to, you know, what adjustments is he going to make? What's he going to come out? What's going to be different in the second half? Did uh, Pat Mahomes choke? Like, what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes right now? What's going on? This guy put up 50 touchdowns, and he can't even get a first down right now. Um, And the way that the Patriots came out and controlled the ball, controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, they were getting in Kansas City's backfield. They were disrupting Patrick Mahomes. They couldn't get any ground game going. And on offense, they were just pounding the rock, getting behind that big offensive line and just hand the ball off to Sony Michelle. It was really something to watch. And, and I, I was just amazed with how Andy Reid responded and came out in the second half and really changed it up and started going with short screen passes they came out right off the bat, four plays, 74 yards, touchdown within about a minute. And that's exactly what they needed. So, I mean, it's, it was a, just a very exciting game. I don't want to go too far into it, but, uh, you know, what were, what were your first thoughts on it? Looking at the stats, I mean, obviously Tyreek Hill, that one pass for 46 yards, that was to respond the first drive in the second half. But, um, you know, overall, I was just really, I was really surprised how, Second half wise, I mean, I know you mentioned that Reed made some adjustments, but I mean, you got to find better ways to to get your playmakers the ball. I mean, Hill only had one catch, Kelsey only had three catches. I know that you saw the emergence of Damian Williams, the running back, in the passing game in the final stretches. What he did, you know, along the sidelines, that was an awesome play call. But I don't know. You, the Patriots always do this; they take away the opponent's biggest weapon, and that was Tyreek Hill. 
for the most part, I mean, outside of that one catch that really set themselves up in the second half, you didn't see much of Tyreek Hill. And I knew that the Patriots were going to run the ball very well. But, I mean, this is kind of, this is ridiculous. I mean, D. Ford, Justin Houston, Chris Jones. I mean, these are big-time front seven Pro Bowl caliber players that they invested in. And I didn't really hear much of them. The only time I really heard of D. Ford is when he got called for the penalty. I mean, it's just one of those things when you're put on a, on such a high stage with high stakes. I mean, you know, the NFC Championship game, you saw Aaron Donald, you saw Ndamukong Su, you saw Dante Fowler. I mean, these are big-time names that they gambled with their draft picks and whatnot. They, they spent a lot of money. And, you know, for that matter, that gamble did pay off. They're in the Super Bowl right now. So everything is justified. But, I mean, for the Chiefs, this roster, for sure, it is a much better and talented roster than the than the Patriots, which makes this game even more, like, you got to give Tom Brady and Bill Belichick a lot of credit because this was a phenomenal win for them, especially in overtime. Yeah, I, you know, and I also have to say, I, I was, I, I love any game where uh, Tony Romo's uh, broadcasting that he really tells you exactly what's going to happen before the play. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's like Jedi mind tricks are like he knows, like he intuitively does know that, and he's called it time and time again. It's been a pleasure to to watch a game of that magnitude and to have that sort of play calling as a viewer. You know. Yeah, I mean one one key matchup. Like when you talked about, and we all knew Kansas City. Um, they put up the most points, but they gave up the second most points for the entire season. That defense was their weak link. That's their Achilles heel. And you know, talking about Achilles heel, Eric Berry, first game back. That's um, right. His matchup against Rob Gronkowski. Uh, you know, I have to say, I thought Rob Gronkowski was, you know, he, he was done. Stick a fork in him, but. Uh, you know, he really, uh, he won those battles between Eric Berry and himself. And I think that, uh, you know, along with just Julian Edelman down the middle, uh, I feel like they didn't have an answer for that all day. And Brady, uh, Brady and Belichick saved that for the end and just marched all the way down the field for the win with that. But, uh, yeah, that Eric Berry just couldn't stop Rob Gronkowski. And here's the thing, too. Uh, uh, this leads to my next question, okay? Because everyone's talking about overtime rules because, hey, you know what? Tom Brady, miraculously, because this is what the Patriots always do, they won the coin toss, they get the ball, and they drive all the way down the field, and they get the game-winning touchdown. That's all she wrote. Patrick Mahomes and that offense, which is obviously the reason why they're even in this position, they did not get the opportunity to get the ball back. Like college rules, maybe that would have been nice. And so now a lot of people are clamoring for saying, hey, you know what? These overtime rules are bullshit. It should be like college. Patrick Mahomes should have had an opportunity to at least try to tie it up after the, you know, Tom Brady had gotten their touchdown. Keep in mind, though, that I mean, Tom Brady, they had three third and 10 conversions that were converted that the defense allowed, Kansas City allowed. So it's not like this was an easy cakewalk. For Tom Brady, but I mean, what are your thoughts about this whole overtime ordeal with the rules? Well, I mean, uh, it's it's so much more entertaining in college. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, what was I forget which game it was. Uh, you know, right around uh, Thanksgiving weekend, but it had five, six overtimes. 
you know, score went up to like 76 to 70 or something like that by the end of it. Um, and that's, that's kind of what you run the risk of, but I think, uh, both teams should get an opportunity. Um, and, you know, starting maybe both, both, you know, let's say whichever team wins the coin toss, they get to start with the ball at the 50 yard line. And you do it like that instead of the 25, move it back a little bit because NFL, they're, they're definitely able to air the ball out, especially with the rule changes that have happened in the last couple of years. Um, you know, passing games just wide open nowadays. But the one thing I will say in, in defense of the current rules is, I mean, the Patriots, they had to convert three third and tens and they did it. I mean, it was on KC. KC, technically, they did have a chance. All you have to do is fucking stop Tom Brady. But. Did you ever think that they were going to stop Tom Brady? When they won that coin toss, did you think that this is the outcome of the game? Tom Brady's going to march down the field and win it. I mean, technically, Drew Brees had the same opportunity to march down the field at home, but I don't know. And Drew Brees is a great quarterback, but that is where he is not Tom Brady. Yeah, well, you know, we saw. We saw on Sunday. We saw two completely... Given the the same spot, the same opportunity, but yeah, different outcomes for sure, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know Patrick Mahomes was really just looking for the home run every time, and uh, his you know his uh, experience really showed. You know, he like seeing the experience level of Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, Tom Brady was able to do a lot of audibles, um, and he was checking down a lot. It just his connection with James White uh, on being able to get some of those you know quick outside uh, screens, and yeah, really that that helps that passing game tremendously without having a true uh, number one wide receiver. It's true. I mean, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this is his first year as a starter. He doesn't have the same capacity, and it's not his fault per se. You know, it's his first time being in the situation. But yeah, he doesn't have the same ability to call all audibles at the line of scrimmage and really get the offense in sync a lot of it is largely in part to andy reed but i understand where you're coming from for sure yeah but i mean hey don't get me wrong if i'm starting a team right now i, I want some patrick mahomes oh yeah no oh yeah i won't say there will be plenty of opportunities you know like dan marino and whatever but it does look very promising for this chiefs offense this chiefs franchise i mean i hope to see Patrick Mahomes in a similar situation next year. Let's just say that. Yeah, I mean, for once, they didn't get one of our uh, former Niners quarterbacks. Yeah, that's refreshing, too, you know. it's uh, Yeah, they, they actually got this guy hometown organically through the draft. And so this is something where, for the longest time, I mean, the Chiefs fan base, the Chiefs kingdom, they have one of their own to really rally around. So good for them. Yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you see Montana out there on Sunday? I did see him. That was uh, maybe feel some sort of way, but I mean, yeah, he, he was a chief. He was <laughs> he a chief. A chief. I, I keep on forgetting, you know. <laughs> I mean, I know one time I went to my friend's house, and he has a framed autographed picture of uh, Joe Montana wearing a chief's uniform. And I looked at him, I was like, did you buy this one because it was on sale? And he looked at me like I said something really wrong. Uh, and he was a diehard Chiefs fan, so... And I know he was heartbroken on Sunday. This is like the Twilight Zone, you know, when you see Jerry Rice donning a Raiders jersey, a Broncos jersey, a Seahawks jersey. I mean, shit like that does happen. It, it is kind of wonky. Yeah, I mean that's that's the game. Yeah, 
Yeah. But, uh, you know, I do have to say that uh, you know, I, I expect a lot more from Travis Kelsey as well. Um, you know, he had a he, he had a, an amazing year. And uh, similar to like Michael Thomas, to only have, you know, three receptions for 23 yards, uh, you know, definitely leaves more to be desired. Yeah. When you look at these stats, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, like they're big-time players. They didn't have big games but the Chiefs still had an opportunity. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they still had an opportunity to win this game, which is even more so amazing given all all of that. But they did not have their best game, and I'm sure they're going to be thinking about that come this offseason, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if I saw it anywhere, but I really wonder how long that fourth quarter was because it felt like that fourth quarter was as long as the first three quarters combined. Oh, my God. It was... Well, I love lead changes, but yeah, the final five minutes or so, it was it was pretty wonky, and I lo- I loved it. It was it was great, but just uh, oh my god, yeah, just to see Tom Brady back t- and forth and back and forth. <laughs> Tom Brady, time and time again, third down conversion, third down conversion, shit, and they did it uh, again, <laughs> shit. So every time, every time, it's like, hey, wait, where's Julian Edelman? Okay, here you are. What about uh, that? Uh, you know the uh, the putt recovery, uh, you know the the miracle where he had you know used the force to get the ball away from his fingers. Yeah, so like Edelman, he gets that call his way. Gronkowski, you hadn't seen him like what the last four weeks. He he, he came up big. Even if, you know, fucking Rex Gross, uh, not Rex Gross, I mean Rex Burkhead. He he's been gone for like half the season. He was on IR and he made the game winning touchdown in in overtime. I mean. Yeah, you can't make this shit up with the Patriots. Uh, Philip Dorsett. Oh, Philip I Dorsett, that's I right. I haven't seen that name in a long time. I mean, he looked like an all-star receiver out there. Speedy receiver. Made a really, that was a really tight, tight throw. And he caught it. I mean, that's just like him, Ted Jin, like these speedy guys making catches. Were, like, it blows my mind. But, hey, he made it in the... Final stretches of the game, which is awesome. I mean, Tom Brady was just throwing some lasers out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a tight rope. More credit to the Patriots because Burkhead, what, 50-year-old Julian Edelman, half half a Gronkowski, Corderell Patterson. You don't have Josh Gordon anymore. I mean, yeah, this team is in the Super Bowl. Sony Michelle, rookie. I mean, yeah, they're in the Super Bowl. It's going to be... The Rams, the Patriots, and right now, last time I checked, it's uh, Patriots favored by two, and it's the highest over-under total of the Super Bowl era, which is it's at 58 right now. Yeah, it's only going up. I opened at 57 and a half. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny. is that uh, talking about Sonny Michelle, um, you know, there was a time when he was Tom Gurley's backup. So, <laughs> you know, now he gets to, you know, have that little battle in the Super Bowl. I know, Georgia. And you know, Jared Goff, his idol was Tom Brady. So, I mean, I know I know that's a another podcast, but that was you know, something really to look forward to. Yes, sir. So having said that, Michael, let's go ahead and take it back home. I appreciate your time. And it is, it is Tuesday right now. February 3rd is Super Bowl. I'd love to have you on another pod. Maybe we can get Bobby in the mix. Maybe get CeeLo. But let's talk some Super Bowl football. Let's do a little bit of a preview as we get closer to the date. And uh, we will see you guys. Rams, Patriots at 
Atlanta for Super Bowl 53. Can't wait. All right, guys. Until next time, once again, Just the West podcast, Instagram, at Just the West, Twitter, at Just the West, and, of course, my blog, www.justthewest.com. Until next time, we out here. Peace.